And uh, I'll say a quick prayer because we have a long way to go. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we do thank you for amazing grace, the, the cool weather outside, the dew on the ground. Lord, you said until, until, the, until the time remains on this earth, until you close this program down, there will be seed time and harvest, summer and winter. Lord, you're a consistent God. You're a good God. And you're faithful. And Lord, we love you for that. We look to your word now, Lord, that we might grow and learn, that you might teach us all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I'm going to finish a three-part series on the nation of Israel. I've called this series Israel Then and Now. And in the first two weeks, I took you through really 4,000-year history of the nation beginning 2000 B.C. with the call of Abraham, where God instills a vision into him and a dream of this nation that would arise and give the world uh, the things of God, the word of God, the praises of God, the sacrifices of God. David, in about 1000 B.C., conquers Jebusite territory and establishes Jerusalem. That's the place where God said he would put his name forever, and forever means forever, the last time I looked. Uh, Solomon, his son, builds the temple. The temple's destroyed in 586 by the Babylonians. Nehemiah comes back and rebuilds the wall. Zerubbabel and his men rebuild the temple. And somewhere around 50 B.C., Herod, the great, he's a Jew, but you know they're under Roman jurisdiction now, uh, expands that temple. That was the temple that Jesus ministered in. 70 AD, the Romans come, sack Jerusalem, destroy the temple. And the Jews, for some 1,900 years, wander the earth. They lived every place under heaven. They lived all over the Arab world. And God said, I'll scatter you, and then one day I'll regather you. And that happened in 1948 when they became a nation. 1967, in that infamous war, they get jurisdiction over all Jerusalem. And in my opinion, the time of the Gentiles ends, and it brings us to Israel 2015. How are they doing? Well, I can give you a ton of metrics and a lot of statistics, but I'll just quote the Wall Street Journal from August where it says, under any condition and metric that you look at, Israel today as a modern nation is flourishing. They've made the desert bloom. And you can analyze that and look at it online. Uh, Things are glorious for the nation as we stand here. But what about 2015 and beyond? What is in store for this nation, this chosen people that God has ordained, his people that he said he would watch over forever and ever? Well, to get you on that journey, I want to take you back to 1983 when I become a Christian. I cut my teeth in prophecy really early, and it was the afterglow of the Hal Lindsey era. Hal Lindsey was a wonderful Bible teacher and a scholar, prolific author, and he was writing during the 70s. Now, I was a teenager in the 70s. It was a really dark time. Uh, We had the Vietnam coming to an end, the Watergate scandal with Nixon. Uh, Remember the drugs? Drugs were prolific at that time, the the overflow of the hippie generation, 20% interest rate with Carter's with Carter, and younger folks won't believe this. Remember we waited two hours in line for gas, the Arab oil embargo? It was a really dark time, and during that time, Hal Lindsey became the best-selling author of the 1970s. I'm not talking about Christian author. He was the New York Times best-selling author of the 1970s. His two prominent books were The Late Great Planet Earth and 1980s, The Countdown to Armageddon. Now, Hal was a good guy. And the reason why i got to tell you he's a good guy, because there's a lot of flakes out there, right, who tell you the world's going to end on this date and that date, and they tell people to, you know, 
jack up their credit cards and put their dogs to sleep and all this. Hal was a good guy. Hal went to Dallas Theological Seminary. He sat under Dwight Pentecost, who was a legend. And he had a gift for taking the prophetic scriptures and putting them in an everyday package where the average guy could understand. Now, he took some poetic license, right? He said the locust and revelation were Apache helicopters and the fire we would see in the book of Revelation and some of the other books of the Bible was nuclear war. So he, so he added some of his things. But uh, by and large, uh, Hal Lindsey did the church a favor. From the 1970s till right now, more has been written on Bible prophecy in this short period of time than in the history of the church. Now that tells me two things. One, Christians are waking up. You know, we're putting the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, and that's a good thing. We understand time is moving somewhere. The other thing, it tells me God's up to something. He's giving one final warning, kind of like the days of Noah. Now, there was a downside to this prophetic teaching, and that is the endless speculation, predictions. And even among the good guys, pastors like myself, too many predictions, too many guys thinking they had insider information with world leaders. Give me a break. These guys are pastors. All right, they don't have inside information. Oh, I talked to a guy in Europe. I talked to a guy here. Look, all this ended with the internet. When the internet came, the rank and file Christian can go on and figure it out for himself. The playing field got leveled. So last week we had the Republican debate, right? 11 nominees up there. And Marco Rubio, a sitting senator, talked about world events. Here's what he said. He said, we have a lunatic in North Korea. Love the language he used. He's got his hand on dozens of warheads that can now, we believe, reach California. He said, the Chinese don't like us. They're hacking our computers. They're expanding their armies into the South China Sea, the most important shipping lane in the world. He said, we have a gangster in Russia threatening Europe and the destruction of NATO. We have radical jihadists, um, jihadists across multiple continents. A horrible deal on the table with Iran, and Iran's ruled by a cleric with an apocalyptic view of how the world's going to end. So you don't need insider information anymore. Here's a sitting senator saying, the world's a mess. Just have at it. Now, when I planned this series, I planned my preaching about nine months in advance. I had no way of knowing. I guess I could have figured it out, but I had no way of knowing that my final week when I talked about the future of Israel and our planet, that there would be kind of a confluence of certain events. Number one, the Pope's here. Uh, hasn't been here since 1979. He represents a billion Catholics, and he's one of the few religious leaders on earth who is actually the head of state. The Vatican is a country. I've been there. Uh, that's why he can speak to a joint session of Congress. That's why he gets Secret Service. That's why I had to be rerouted all day yesterday because I couldn't get on 76 East or West. I had no way of knowing that tomorrow is the end of these blood moons that everybody's talking about. I'll mention that at the end of my message. I had no way of knowing Putin would send uh, weapons into Syria, troops into Syria, that he's addressing the UN tomorrow, that we're right in the heart of the fall feasts of Israel. Now, having said all that, I'm going to disappoint you this morning. I'm going to disappoint you this morning because all I am is a Bible teacher. I am not the Adam Schefter of the end of the world. I'm not an 
insider kingdom guy who has all these secrets of what's going on with world political leaders. I'm just a Bible teacher. I have friends in Israel. I called them this week. I have friends in Russia. I called them this week. I know people in Africa. I called them this week. I have a perspective that's not American. But at the end of the day, I can only tell you what the Bible is going to say. So this morning, I'm not going to pin the tail on the Antichrist. I'm not going to make predictions about when Jesus is coming or the end of the world. I'm not going to tell you if if your stocks are going to go up or down, okay? I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says, and I believe and always have believed you're smart enough to make up your own mind. Fair deals, we get started. Everybody on board with that? Okay. So the only way to get started to find out where we are in 2015 is the book of Daniel. In the spring, when our new facility is finished, we will... In the midweek, do the book of Daniel verse by verse. It is a fabulous book. So Daniel is a young boy who was taken to Babylon. The king of Babylon is Nebuchadnezzar. He's not a nice guy. Uh, If you do something wrong, if you cross him, he cuts off your head and he makes your house an ash heap, okay? So this is the way he operates. He has a very disturbing dream. The dream's so disturbing, the guys he pays to interpret dreams... He doesn't even believe in them. So here's the edict he makes. I need somebody who's not going to interpret the dream. I want them to tell me the dream, then interpret it. He makes the restrictions so small that it opens the door for God to work. And in verse 24 of chapter 2, somebody says, oh, there's this Hebrew boy, Daniel, who has the gift of interpreting dreams. But he worships Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't care. Bring him to me. And Daniel tells him the dream. Look on the screen. To make it short, the dream is the figure of a man made out of precious metals. So he tells him the dream and he gives him the interpretation. And basically he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. This glorious kingdom, Babylon, the hanging gardens, this advanced city. You are an amazing king. This is the glory of your kingdom. But there's coming a kingdom inferior to yours, silver, that will overthrow you, the Medo-Persian Empire. The two arms, Medo-Persia. After that, it will be the thighs and belly of brass. That's Greece under Alexander the Great. And then finally, Rome would rule with a rod of iron, the legs of iron. Now, this was so exact that as we look through history, this is exactly how it happened. I share with you the first week, the only way that you can come against it is to say that someone other than Daniel wrote it later and, you know, it was put in the Bible and uh, things of that nature. But in chapter 22, uh, chapter 2, verse 40, here's what he says. The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, like the Roman Empire, and as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter clay and partly of iron, The kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so shall the kingdom be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron doesn't mix with clay. Here's the important verse, verse 44. In the days of these kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. That's never happened. 
And the kingdom shall be not left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all other kingdoms. And it shall stand, there's that word again, forever. And as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The interpretation is sure. In the last days, in the days of these kings, in the final days, God will set up his kingdom. Now, it gives us the final world-dominating empire. It will be a revived Roman empire. It will come out of the fragments of Rome. The difference here is it will, that the iron and the clay doesn't adhere. In other words, it would be strong, but it can never align. George Friedman is a secular author who I find fascinating. He wrote a book called The Next 100 Years, where he looked at the events in our world and he predicted what would come to pass in the next 100 years. He leads the Stratifer Group, uh, a private enterprise group that looks at things like this. And even if you don't like his, pre his predictions, uh, just his analysis on naval proceedings in the last 100 years is worth the price of the book. His latest book is called Flashpoints, The Emerging Crisis in Europe. And here's what he says, and it's very biblical. It's almost like he read Daniel. What he's saying is that Europe has always longed for a super state, a United States of Europe. Charlemagne wanted it, Hitler wanted it, Napoleon wanted it. The woman's always wanted to ride this beast. But we know there's something that has kept this back. Paul talks about it in Thessalonians. The Holy Spirit has been restraining this during the church age. Um, he talks about how there's an underbelly in Europe of fragmented borderlands. Europe is a conglomeration of ethnic groups that have been pieced together. And if you read this book, it's fascinating. He talks about how this entity that has gone to one currency and has one constitution cannot align like the United States. There's just something there. And of course, the Bible said that a long time ago. You've all been reading about Greece and how they've had to bail out and just all these fragmentations in Europe. So here's the question. If we need a revived Roman Empire, if we need 10 states to emerge, how's it going to happen? Here's a key learning today. It's going to happen through a man. One singular man will bring this all together. Uh, go to Daniel chapter 7. We used to say in the early years of Calvary, if you're turning, you're learning. And if you don't have a Bible, get one. Forget the online one, you can use that, but get a real Bible. Chapter 7, verse 23, the fourth beast. So Daniel has his own dream now. Instead of seeing a metallic figure, he sees beasts. And he says, the fourth beast or the fourth kingdom shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall rise after them. Now watch this. He shall be different from the first ones. Personal pronoun. And shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, a times, and a half a time. That's the most documented time 
in Bible history. Daniel says there is a man who is coming. Daniel, in chapter 9, calls him the prince who is to come. And he says he'll come of the people who crucified Jesus. He'll come out of the Roman Empire, the former Roman Empire. Paul calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition. Jesus said, I came in my father's name. There's coming one in his own name. He goes, him you'll receive. Jesus talked about him. John calls him the Antichrist, definite article. Now, John said many many Antichrists have gone out into the world. That's why when you look at the world, you think there's a conspiracy, right? There is. There's one giant conspiracy that the spirit of Antichrist is bringing to bear. But the Bible says one day there is coming a man. He will be a world leader. He will be a genius. He will barter peace with Israel. He'll solve the Islam problem. He'll solve the European problem. He's anti because he's in place of Christ, but he looks like Christ. Revelation chapter 4, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first one is on a white horse. And if you read it, it looks like Jesus till you find out that he's a usurper. He has a bow with no arrows. He's a conqueror, but he's not the rightful conqueror. So, let's see where we are. We have Israel in the land. Okay? It's never happened in 1948 years. And now you need this world leader. Okay? Does anybody think the world's clamoring for this person? I do. Do you think people want to see the Mideast problem solved? I do. Do you think people want to see the nuclear proliferation stop? I do. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind the world is ready for this man. Now we've got to move to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet and a priest who was carried away like Daniel into Babylon for 70 years of captivity. And God gives him a vision of the future of Israel. Uh, when you get some time, read Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39. It's about the last days, and in this vision, um, God takes Ezekiel over a land of dry bones, and he says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, oh Lord, you know. By the way, if God ever gives you a dream and you're asked any question, make that your answer. Lord, you know. Don't even speculate on what it could be. And the bones begin to rattle together, the, the flesh comes on them, and in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 11, he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, that I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your land. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken in it and performed it, and God has. Now, chapter 38 is amazing. We see a confederacy that begins with Gog, Magog, Rosh, 
uh, Tubal. It starts to name these different nations. Now, we don't have time this morning to go through this. Why does the Bible give us these names that we don't understand? Because we change the names of cities, right? You know, Constantinople, Istanbul, we do that all the time. So it takes us back to their tribal names. And this is Russia. This is Russia plus, a, you know, a consortium of Middle Eastern nations. The Bible says one day that Russia will come down with a consortium of Arab nations and invade Israel. Right now, Putin's in Syria. Uh, we're watching that on the news. Uh, if you read the rest of chapter 38 and you look at God's judgment, when the nations come against Israel, it will be Armageddon. Right at that time, God will intervene. And if you read chapter 39, verses 11 to 16, it's amazing because what we're looking at there looks like a nuclear cleanup. Now, why is this important? Because Israel has gone on record, and you can look this up, where they have said they will do everything to defend their borders, which are basically indefensible. But if push comes to shove, they are never going to leave that nation again. The heart cry at Masada was never again. This will never happen again. And they have on the table what is known as the Samson Initiative, which basically is the use of nuclear weapons. So, very interesting what we're reading here. Now, you look at Israel and you say, okay, we have Israel, we have world-dominating empires. What about the church? You know, the church is here. What's going on? Are the two mutually exclusive? Can they coexist? Uh, how are Jews saved? Well, when Daniel talked about these world-dominating empires... Medo, Persia, Greece, and Rome, it's when Israel was a nation. And then something interesting came in, this mystery of godliness called the church. We were grafted in. And the church has been here, you know, for 2,000 years, and the Bible speaks nothing of world empires, because this is the church age. My belief, when we're removed, and Israel comes to the forefront again, once again, the Bible speaks of a revived Roman empire. Now, I want you to think about this. This is very important. The early church. Now, I'm going to call the early church the biblical church started by the apostles or Paul. The early church, the Philippians, the Colossians, the seven, books of, the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, and then I want to talk about the primitive church. So this would be 300 years after Christ. What did they believe? Well, number one, they believed that the Jews must be saved by believing Jesus is the Messiah. There's no other name under heaven which by a man can be saved. That's very clear. The book of Hebrews, the early church, all believe this. The second thing they believed was that Israel was yet to be redeemed as a nation and that one day a messianic kingdom would be set up for a little, literal thousand years that we call the millennium. It's a Latin word, not in the Bible. The third thing they believed was in the imminent return of Christ. They believed Jesus could come at any time. Paul said, we who are alive and remain, you know, we could be caught up with the Lord. So the early church, primitive church, no doubt about it. Uh, number four, they believed in a worldwide time of stress, the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, would precede the second coming. And they believed in a literal antichrist who would reign during this tribulation period. Now, in the fourth century, a man named Oregon comes along. He was a good guy. 
okay? He really was. He was an early church father. He was an ascetic. He lived in Alexandria, Egypt, but he began to allegorize prophecy. Instead of looking at it literal, he began to interpret it in an allegorical fashion. Later, Augustine comes along, another good guy. But he takes the allegorization of Scripture and puts it into a systematic theology that the Reformers never dealt with, and it's still out there today. Half of the church today believes that Israel is just Israel. It has no prophetic significance. Now hear me clear on this. There are authors I love and guys I fellowship with who are in this camp. And I do not disfellowship with them. We agree to disagree, okay? So I want to say there should be no disagreement and non-fellowship on this issue. However, I do want to fire out a clear warning on this. Um, the view of Israel being replaced by the church, and that's what that teaching is, replacement theology, that all the promises for Israel come unto the church. I think it led to the Crusades, my opinion, but I can back it up with research. I think it led to the anti-Semitism in uh, 1347, blaming the Jews for the Black Death in Europe. I think it led to a lot of the anti-Semitism we see in Christian nations in the last 2,000 years. Uh, there were so many wonderful, godly men. One of them, Martin Luther, gave us the Reformation. A wonderful scholar, wonderful man who despised the Jews. I can't even read his quotes. One, because I think he would repent of it today. And number two, um, they are so damning. The Encyclopedia Judica rightly comments about Luther's writings where they say, short of Auschwitz, ovens, and extermination, the whole Nazi Holocaust is pre-outlined here. Listen to these words. Hence today I believe that I'm acting in accordance with the Almighty Creator by defending myself against the Jew. I am fighting for the work of the Lord. And that's Hitler from Mein Kampf. And by the way, think of the Holocaust. What was it, 60 years ago? We put 6 million human beings in ovens. This wasn't 2,000 years ago. This was 60-some years ago. In a modern, Western, Christian, advanced nation. You don't think there's a spirit of Antichrist out there? Now, don't put these two together, but the Pope's visiting Philadelphia. I don't know anything about Francis. I don't know anything about the man. I know a lot about the papacy, and you can know it too. Go to Barnes & Noble, spend about four hours. You'll, need, you'll know all you need to know about the papacy. As I said, he's a religious leader. He's also a world leader. In 1982, John Paul II had Yasser Arafat to the Vatican. Yasser Arafat, he's the man who brought a sidearm into the UN. He's probably one or two of the most notable terrorists in the history of the world. In 1994, the Vatican established political ties with the PLO, despite all their atrocities. Now, this is fascinating. The Vatican made ties to the PLO, but they did not recognize Israel's right to exist as a nation. Go look it up. The only nations not to acknowledge that Israel had the right to exist were the Vatican and the Arab Muslim nations. Now, John Paul rectified that in 2000 when he made a papal visit there. In 1994, the year that Arafat and the Vatican established relations, he signed a five-year peace process between the PLO and Israel. 
The same year, May 15, 1994, in his speech in a mosque in Johannesburg, South Africa, Arafat said, I call upon every Muslim to wage jihad against Jerusalem. So why in the world did he make a peace treaty and then in a mosque say something different? Well, he was asked about this. You know what he said? He said, because in Islam, war is deception. And he took us back to the 7th century, and that's exactly what Muhammad did when he destroyed the Jews in Mecca. It's fascinating. Uh, up on the screen, February 24th, 1993, this is a picture of Ronald Reagan with the Pope and how they conspired to bring down communism. Revelation 17 talks about a scarlet woman, a religious system who will ride this world leader. So, is the Pope the Antichrist? No, that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. I'm trying to tell you the Bible says there is a coming religious leader. who will align with the political leader and bring the world into a golden age of peace. Anybody think it's possible? Anybody think it's possible? Ten nations, one supreme leader, one religious leader, Israel in the land. I think things are moving there. So what's the future of Israel? What's the future of the world? Zechariah said they'll become a cup of trembling. The world won't know what to do with Jerusalem. Europe doesn't know what to do. We don't know what to do. The nations don't know what to do. The armies of the world are going to gather. It's going to start with Russia from the north, a consortium of Arab nations. Uh, finally, all nations will be there. If you want to know the future of Israel, it's Armageddon. They are scheduled one last time to be deceived. The Bible says, they say, come and let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. They conspire in one accord. They make a covenant. The tents of Edom and Moab, the Arab nation, Syria, Lebanon. Look, it's all through the Bible. It's in the Psalms. It's everywhere. Anti-Semitism makes no sense to the natural mind except God said, these are my people and this is what I'll do. And then what I think might be the greatest set of verses in the Bible, God said, I will pour out on the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon him who they've pierced and they shall mourn for him. And one shall say to him, what are these wounds in thine hands and he shall answer those which I received in the house of my friends. It's an amazing, amazing prophecy. Can I take you on a quick journey? We only have a few minutes. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Paul understood all this. He said in Romans 9, verse 1, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have grief and sorrow continually in my heart. Why? He said, for my people, my countrymen, according to the flesh, God gave these people a vision, and they're cut off. And Paul said, I'd rather go to hell if they could all be saved. That's about what he said. He goes on in verse 6 to say, 
It's not as if the word of God hasn't worked, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. Chapter 10, verse 1, he said, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer for God, for Israel, is that they might be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Chapter 11, I say then, verse 1, has God cast away his people? Calvary? Certainly not. I don't think he has. For I also am an Israelite, the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Even so, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation's come to the Gentiles. Verse 20, well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. But you shouldn't be prideful because we were grafted in. Paul writes these amazing words. Why? Because one day there will be a future restoration. Here's where we are. God is working through the church. When he removes the church, Israel will come to the forefront. And the Bible says God will pour out on them a spirit of grace and all Israel will be saved. That's the future. So what do we do? Well, I'm going to go home, have lunch, maybe watch football, hang out with my family. Tomorrow I'll get up, I'll do something else. Tuesday I'll go to work. I'm going to do what the Thessalonian church did. They turned from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven. Some people are just waiting for his son from heaven and studying prophecy. Some are just serving. No, the Bible says we serve and we wait. That's balance. Let me give you some next steps. Number one, we all need to pray for Israel. Two, we need to support Israel. There are wonderful ministries trying to reach Messianic Jews. We need to pray for world leaders. We need to pray for our leaders. We have an election coming up. Three, we need to get educated on the issue. Now, we have books out there. People keep asking me, Pastor Bob, what book do you recommend? Um, o Jerusalem is a fascinating book about how the modern state came to be from a secular perspective some of the amazing backdoor things that happen. Uh, the Desire of the Everlasting Hills by Cahill. If you want an entire history of, of Jerusalem, uh, Simon Montefiore's book is excellent. Next slide. Probably the greatest history is by Max DeMont, Jews, God, and History. Walk into any bookstore and say, do you have Max DeMont's book? And they'll point you to where it is. F.F. Bruce, Israel and the Nations. The Gift of the Jews is a great way to get started. Uh, do we have any more up there? the Feast of Israel, the Temple. You know, get educated in one fashion or another. Now, as I said, tomorrow is supposed to be the end of the blood moons. What are the blood moons? Well, again, just Google it. You can read about it. It's this idea of a lunar situation where, where the moon actually looks red and there's these certain triads that happen and tomorrow is supposed to be the last one. And every time it happens, something major happens with Israel. So people think the stock market's going to crash, the world's going to end. And it all goes to Amos and Acts where it says the sun will go out and the moon will turn to blood. Well, I read my Bible, that's not a lunar eclipse, okay? That ushers in the greatest tribulation the world's ever seen. Do I think it's going to happen tomorrow? No. But I know this. Jesus said when you see all of these things, lift up your head. For your redemption 
draws nigh. Guys, we are closer than we've ever been. Closer than we've ever been. You can see it now. You're watching television. You're seeing this all knit together. That doesn't mean we still don't have 100 years to go. It really doesn't. Father, we pray for the peace of Israel. Lord, we pray for the church. Lord, we pray for ourselves. That we would be kind and benevolent, Lord. That we wouldn't be haughty with insider information. Lord, you've delayed all of this. You're restraining right now because your desire is that everyone will be saved. So God, help us to be about your business. Lord, help us to get up tomorrow and love and share and enjoy your creation.